What's been up, guys? It's Mike from the Fight Japan podcast. We are getting back into the swing of things after a long layoff. I don't need to get into the specifics, but I think we all know what I'm talking about. But things are going again in Japan fantastically. We're back again. We have some MMA finally. We've had Pancreas, we've had Shuto, and coming up this weekend, we have Ryzen. So I wanted to do a quick、uh, experiment this week. I guess we'll get into kind of a shorter form version of the podcast. I don't want to drone on for too long about a few different things. Today, I wanted to talk about、uh, just some basic ideas in terms of matchups, why Japanese MMA is so interesting in comparison to the UFC and some other fight leagues, as well as even talk a little bit about pro wrestling and some of the other ideas that I've had with that.、Um, it's been a really interesting time.、Um, a lot, lot of very cool things coming up in the world、uh, in the, over the next few months. So I'm excited to see where things go with this. So let's get into it. So, today I'm gonna talk a little bit about some of the match ideas that I've been thinking about for a long time. So, I'm a big fan of combat sports in general. I love to watch MMA, I love to watch all types of stuff, including pro wrestling, even though it does sound kind of weird.、Um, but I've had a few different brainstorms over the last few years in terms of the different types of fights that we see going down. And maybe we don't even think about it usually, but、um, a lot of the, the bookers involved in doing some of these things,、uh, be it, you know, Know, the UFC matchmakers or the guys behind the scenes at the WWE or the Japanese Pro Wrestling Federations, they're always thinking about how to craft matchups that are interesting. So, I wanted to just roll through some of the ones that I've been kind of brainstorming over the last few months and see what you guys think about this. So,、uh, the biggest one that,、uh, that goes back to probably old school pro wrestling that you've thought about, and it does happen sometimes in the UFC too. You get a crusher versus a can. So, the old school way that they talk about it is a tomato can would just be somebody that,、uh, that you beat up and,、uh, and they, you know, they, get, they get bloody, they get beaten around and everything like that. So,、um, you're just really trying to build up your big star and you just want them to have a really easy match. So, it's a, essentially a jobber match, what they used to call back in the day, Barry Hart. Horowitz. I don't know if you remember him at all, but he used to get his ass kicked pretty consistently in the WWE back in the 80s. He was the perennial loser and things like that. Obviously, in MMA, they don't think, do things exactly the same way,、um, but they will every now and then have kind of a, they call them a, a journeyman fighter, somebody that、uh, unfortunately has way too many losses in terms of、uh, their career. And it's gotten kind of pushed around a lot, but you never know. You got to give them up.、Uh, you got to give them some,、uh, some, heart, some heart credit for that. So,、uh, so, yeah, that's one of the different types of fights that we have.、Um, then you get the, <clears throat> the journeyman versus the upstart rookie. So, you have more drama. Can he do it? There's all sorts of inherent ideas about that. Um, just in terms of you know, giving the rookie a shot against you know, somebody that, that maybe has,、uh, has had a rough career, has, has had a, a, a long sort of、uh, you know, up and down situation. But、uh, it's, it's a definite、um, one that you'll see a lot, a kind of a, a passing of the torch sort of situation. And then、uh, obviously the next type of match would be the veteran versus the phenom. So this is another one where maybe it's a passing of the torch situation, maybe it's you know, can, he, can he still do it? Can he still do it? 
you know, move on and, and do things like this. Maybe the veteran has, you know, had a, had a fantastic career or something along these lines. And, you know, he just he wants to see if he can go out on a high note, whereas the Phenom is, you know, he wants that name on his record. He wants to make sure that he can uh, he can go in and, uh, and just have that on the resume just to make sure that his career continues on. So I'm thinking just just recently the uh, the BJ Penn versus Ryan Hall fight that uh, that really stuck out to me as as a classic veteran versus Phenom match. And we all know how it went down in terms of Ryan with the beautiful Imanari over there. But yeah, building his name in that fight. So uh, then, of course, you know, moving on to the next one, we have Champion versus Challenger. So, of course, there's inherent drama within that. We don't really need to even, you know, discuss it always. Everybody's after the silverware in this sport. It, it means uh, it means everything. I mean, when we break it down, ultimately, prize fighting is, is all about, you know, getting the most money and, you know, winning and titles and things along these lines. And the champ gets paid the most. So, champ versus challenger, if, uh, if the company's built it up enough... Uh, there should be a lot of people really interested in these fights, but just inherently everybody wants to see the champ You got to make sure that you can uh, get the people in the seat So the challenger has to do something to get their name out there So, um, you know, I mean even you you look at, at, at somebody I mean obviously McGregor is the most interesting one if we're uh, if we're talking about building fights and things like this He's uh, he's a he's a rare fighter in a lot for a lot of different reasons but most importantly if we're just thinking about things from like kind of a larger perspective conor mcgregor is the best at at pumping up a fight i mean he he does it better than anybody else he could literally be challenged by anybody um and he's going to to make sure that people are buying uh that you know there, there's money being made for the card so he's uh he's perfect for the for the sport uh just mma in general i mean you know you could you could talk about this all the time with uh with pro wrestling and stuff between uh you know your wrestlemanias and your summer slams and all the all the big name cards and everything like this at the top of that event vince mcmahon knows you have to have a champion versus a challenger and in every major card some belt has to be defended uh to make sure that the fans keep coming um that the inherent drama of fights like this it, it gets people's interest immediately. So besides the other sorts of, uh, of you know, kind of background stories and things like this, the veterans and the, uh, you know, the kind of upstart rookies and other things like this, the champion versus challenger is kind of the most consistent trope that you'll see all across sports. Uh, the biggest one, champ versus champ, though. Champ versus champ. Um, so uh, can you do it again? Can he become the champ champ? That's been the uh, the buzzword in MMA over the last few years, but everybody wants to know, um, are you the best of the best, right? Is 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 this, you know, just, just a fluke that you wanted in one division or can you, you know, unify titles? Can you, you know, move up a weight class and defend your title in a different weight class and things like this? Um, so yeah, it's uh, the champ versus champ one is, um, it's a lot uh, more, I'd say riskier for the promoters in a way because you have all your eggs in one basket um i i don't really understand and it, it's it's rarely done i mean it, it happens maybe once a year if you think about it in mma because they really want to make sure that they're spreading their champs out across cards so if you're consolidating your champions i mean that has to be like a you know like a new year's eve sort of thing or like a, an absolutely major type of card situation so uh the champ versus champ matches i'd say these days it, it just doesn't make sense i mean the u.s is putting out fights 
almost on a weekly basis at this point. So uh, they want to make sure that the silverware is defended in a variety of different divisions um, on their main cards. So they don't really want to be consolidating championships. So it's, you know, it, it's something definitely to consider. But yeah, um, these uh, these champ versus champ matches are, uh, are rare. So definitely whenever that goes down, uh, most people are watching. So it's, a, it's the biggest draw that you can have, essentially. Um, but so Japanese MMA and one of the reasons why I love it so much is that um, there's a different dynamic going on so uh, with Japanese MMA it's it's really a lot about um, kind of creating drama building stars so they you know things have changed a lot since the pride era there's really a, a desire to have homegrown stars to have you know names that are you know getting big because they don't really have the same name recognition as they do uh, you know in the UFC with all the the marketing behind it but I have to say the promos if you have a chance to watch Ryzen the production quality is out of control and it just it builds the matches you watch a, a video of you know some of these guys coming out they build the drama they have fireworks Lenny Hart screaming in the background it's just it's captivating in and of itself so Japanese MMA brings a, a different aspect of things into it even though you know it might not be the traditional tropes um, they bring in some kind of more you know pro wrestling style storylines and things like that so you know back in the day uh, sport versus sport used to be really big so you know the UFC gave up on this in a way it used to be you know I, I guess I said sport versus sport but it's really style versus style you don't really see too many classical you know karate versus wrestling guys anymore it's really it's not done so much um, you know, but in Japan, they will actually pit a sumo wrestler against a kickboxer or something like that. Um, and, you know, this is something that goes back a, a, a long ways. I mean, I could, you know, I, I was actually talking with Stuart Fulton about the uh, the Butterbean versus Genki Sudo fight, which was absolutely surreal. But um, they, uh, they, they love to kind of, you know, continue to, to match high quality guys that you know, just even looking at the match from the outside, you know, you'll 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 match up the best sumo guy versus the best kickboxer or something like that, or a Bob Sapp versus a Nogira, something along those lines. So, I mean, you know, not to say that you know, Bob Sapp was uh, wasn't intimidating, but he he was kind of representing, you know, a, a juggernaut of uh, of a person, just a huge person versus jujitsu, and you know, it's something we don't see, but Japanese MMA really does keep that torch going, so it's it's cool to watch. So just from the outside. Um, you'll have a lot more kind of classical karate guys versus maybe a classical jujitsu guy or something like that. Whereas the styles aren't as mixed as you'll see in the UFC. Um, they're a lot more clear cut. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a different little aspect of that. Uh, one of the other ones that you'll see in uh, in Japanese MMA, which really doesn't happen too much in the states anymore, really old versus really young. Uh, there there is uh, something to be said about you know age and yeah i mean it, it's it's a tricky one i mean the the gabby garcia fight fairly recently caused a lot of controversy and unfortunately that was uh that was a really tricky situation to watch but uh gabby garcia fought against a uh, a japanese woman i have to i have to track down her name she was a former pro wrestler and um yeah it 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 was uh I, definitely it got the fans attention because um Gabby's opponent was was fairly well known. She talked a ton of trash before the fight, um, and you just you don't see fights like that in the states. It's just something that's 
really unusual to have like a 20 or 30 year age difference between the fighters. Um, I was actually, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blanking unfortunately on some of the fighters' names, but um, uh, Miyu Yamamoto actually fought. We were uh, we were listening to the press conference. She was hilarious. She said something along the lines. She actually wound up beating an opponent that was significantly younger than her. Uh, Miyu is. Uh, I, don't, I won't even say her age, but she's uh, she's she has some experience in the fight game, and um, yeah, she uh, she actually said it was like beating up my daughter, which everybody was laughing about. Which is it, it's it's weird to see that in, uh, in in modern day MMA, but you come and you see Japan, and there's all sorts of interesting stuff going on here. And the last thing I'd like to mention are the legacy sorts of matchups that we get in Japan. It's really pretty unique to hear because just in terms of the way that the country is, they really respect a long lineage uh, going back a few generations in terms of uh, fighters and things along this line. So um, as I mentioned before, the Yamamoto family, uh, Miyu Yamamoto is actually part of a very long line of fighters going all the way back uh, to the uh, the 1972 Olympic Games. Um, uh, her father, um, Ikue Yamamoto, uh, was a representative of Japan in wrestling and uh, his children uh, Miyu and uh, Kid Yamamoto have actually stepped up and become MMA fighters so over the last you know 40 or so years uh, the family has been fairly well known in the country in terms of uh, you know generating and, uh, and, and being a part of fights like that. So, um, as I mentioned before, Kid Yamamoto, most, most people from the U.S. might remember him from his UFC run uh, and also he was a really high-level fighter in Japan as well so um so yeah kid was uh unfortunately taken from us a few years ago with cancer but he had a fantastic career and uh, really well known he has connections with a lot of the other guys in uh in you know in mma and in especially including ensign inoue uh and ensign uh was uh engaged as, as well to um to miyu at the time so uh so yeah they have a really long line and a long history of uh of fighting in japan so um so you really you don't see stuff like this as i mentioned before in the states it's really kind of a unique japanese thing and it really does get people on their side because they they know of the family and they're really you know they're they're trying to build up the sport here a lot more so i think that um that these type of matchups uh, that you'll get in terms of having and continuing on a family's legacy is really important. I mean, win or lose, uh, these promotions really stand behind fighters like this, and especially Ryzen is uh, is big with this. Um, I guess uh, another big one is the uh, the Asakura brothers. Um, so uh, both of them have a really large social media presence out here, and they've been doing everything they can to uh, to kind of get that rolling. I don't really know of many other brothers right now that are competing at the same time in MMA, so it's a pretty unique situation to have that and uh yeah they're they're actually phenomenal fighters as well there is something to be said about that brotherly connection and uh, i've seen it in brazilian jiu-jitsu i've seen it in kickboxing as well uh there's you know that that kind of you know competitive aspect of of having uh, sibling rivalries and stuff like that really does translate well into uh into mma across the board so anyway we'll uh, we'll get a little bit deeper into ryzen in the uh in the next podcast but i just really wanted to talk today about some uh some of the different types of fights that you'll see and maybe some things that are a little bit more unique to Japan. So anyway, hope you guys enjoyed.